This is the River Avenue Blues Podcast. I'm Joe Polakowski, joined by Jake Gordon. How you doing? We still have a whole lot of nothing going on, so we're going to read your questions. Because you sent in a so, lot, and there's a lot of overlapping ones, so if we don't get to your specific question, know that we probably just picked out a different version of it. There is kind of one little thing going on I want to kind of mention. Um, and it's the, the, the Players Association has actually decided that they're going to be preparing a spring training camp for free agents. That's I, I love to hear that. I thought that was, you know, just given the uncertainty that everybody's facing right now, giving them a chance to go and do the thing they're used to doing is at least keeping that continuity where, you know, you see there's always stories of guys who don't sign deals until, you know, late February, early March, who are just kind of, you, you don't know what they're doing in the time they should be in camp. So I, I really liked hearing that. Yeah, it it looks like Bo Porter is going to be leading um, all the the workouts. They're not going to let people have personal trainers. Um, The union is actually going to be taking care of everything. So they're going to handle travel. They're going to handle housing. They're going to handle per diems and insurance. So this is all standard stuff that comes along with what an organization does for you as an individual when you go to spring training. And um, they, they say that camp will open next Wednesday to kind of fit with when pitchers and catchers for most teams are reporting, and it's going to run at least until March 4th. So the idea is that they're going to give their players in the, um, the, the players association that have not signed the ability to at least work out and get into routine so that they don't start two weeks behind the rest of the uh, the people who are in uh, spring training. So it's kind of a big deal. I, I don't remember something quite like this ever happening before, do you? Not at all. Uh, you know what's going to be the interesting fallout of this is when are specifics of offers going to get leaked and who's going to leak them? Yeah. Because uh, both sides, like both sides, if they think they got a case and they want to leak the details of it, like leaking the details of an offer is, I don't say I want to say the I don't want to say the only step to get things moving, but it's certainly going to get things moving. Yep. Uh, and in other little stuff, um, former Yankee first round draft pick Slade Heathcott um, is actually a NRI. For the uh, the A's this uh, upcoming spring training, so you know with all the free agents not able to get a spot to show up for a major league club's spring training, Slade Heathcott managed to uh, tag on with the A's. Yeah, and the Yankees got a couple of those guys too. It's you know a lot easier to justify an NRI than 155 million for you Darvish, I guess. Absolutely. So we got questions. Um, cause there's not really a lot going on everybody. So we're going to kind of try to get through these questions. Uh, and before we do start the questions, once again, uh, want to thank our recent guests. We have had really great ones, um, like Keith law and, um, uh, recently we had Ryan Rucco. Uh, so we're looking to just get great people to keep speaking with us. If uh, you're a listener, you have any suggestions, uh, and if you say, oh, yeah, you should get Aaron Judge, please don't do that. But if you have some people you think that, you know, we, we probably could speak with that are, you know, in, in the baseball world of media, we'll, we'll do our best. So just uh, shoot us some emails and let us know. So with that speaking, uh, that being said, it's time to read our first email. So the first email we have here, Joe, comes from Kyle. And Kyle says, I am a longtime reader and fan of your podcast. Well, thank you, Kyle. My question for you is, going into spring training, we have heard that Chad Green will have a shot at starting pitching. With the signing of CeCe and our farm so strong in pitching, do you think they'll actually give him a shot at starting pitching? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think that this is the thing that they do for guys that they want to be long men. 
Uh, they essentially tell the long men, show up for uh, spring training to start. Uh, and that really is to fill innings, I think, towards the beginning of camp more than anything. Uh, because your 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 top five starters typically, you know, you, you get an inning, you get two innings, three innings, and then you build them up. So having some people that can, you know, take two innings after a CC or something like that, it's just the, the way the beginning of spring training kind of works out. It does. And the whole idea is that you can never have enough starting pitching. And if a guy is going to show himself as a starter, you might as well run with that. And, you know, I... I think the move, you know, what Chad Green showed last year out of the bullpen, not only what he showed out of the bullpen, but what he showed in the postseason when they had him go a little too long a couple times, um, you know, mm-hmm. it shows you that he's got, you know, he's got stuff. He's obviously one of the hardest, hardest and most deceptively hard throwers in the league. So, you know, it, it works for the short stint, but he clearly gasses out. So I, I don't mind the, the whole idea, the whole Adam Warren role, we can call it, I guess, but it's, I would be, I would be shocked if he started a single game this year. If if Adam Warren doesn't make it to the forty man because of some because remember that Adam Warren is no longer within the Joe Girardi club, so mm-hmm. it is what it is. And if Adam Warren doesn't make the forty man coming out of spring, uh, which which I actually believe is a real possibility, I think that Chad Green has a better pot potential of taking a long man position than Adam Warren does going into 2018. I just don't know if a lot of those circle of trust things that we've we came to know uh, are are going to really translate. So. It really wouldn't shock me if Adam Warren doesn't make the club this year. And, and it almost feels like, you know, I feel like from a an objective standpoint, when you're looking at it from the outside, the circle of trust never made sense. It never made sense when Torrey did it, and he would let guys sit out there for two weeks and not not get a pitch in, and he'd throw Ron Valone every every other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it didn't make sense when Girardi. It seemed like he didn't do it at first, then he started doing it. It never made sense from the outside perspective, and I feel like. There's probably a lot of that going on in the front office saying this doesn't work for us, this doesn't work for us, and you know they brought it up with Boone in the interview. They brought up you know probably everything under the sun, so mm-hmm. I, I imagine it might not be a thing. Now, of course, every manager is going to be different, and we might see Boone fall into the same tendencies. But looking from an analytical standpoint, the circle of trust thing just never makes sense. And I, I just it. don't see it. Yeah, I just don't see it. All right, so next question we have is from uh, Gino, and Gino wants to know. What kind of year would Miguel Anduar need to have for the Yankees not to sign Machado if they want him? Would an average plus year of uh, make them rethink their third base situation? Teams always love the cheap route. Do you think the Yankees go after ha- uh, go after Harper if they're happy with Anduar's prospective future, or do they just keep the money? Hmm. Um, Tough. That's a tough question. I mean, you're asking, you know, for them to predict the future, which is a lot of what, you know, baseball prospects are are about. You're you're taking some uh, basic ideas of what you have on a player and and making a prediction on what their future is based on statistical information. But it's really hard to think about um, whether or not you're going to want to spend money on a guy next year. Um, I, I don't believe in really working that way. I believe that you only work with what's in front of you and you don't work with what's, you know, uh, way far out in the past uh, or I should say, should say in the future. I think that you work exactly what's in front of you right now 
and and make use of that those uh, resources as you have them, because um, you don't ever want to get into a situation where you just make assumptions like a lot of people did with Cliff Lee, where you just said, ah, you know, that guy will just slide right in, and you know you don't have to worry about the rotation. So don't just think, oh yeah, they're going to wait out Machado because Machado could have other plans. He could. Uh, I think the only way you would ever take it into consideration is when you're looking at a situation like Mike Mustakas this winter, where mm-hmm. he, you know, again, Andahar is totally unproven. He could flop for all we know, and the Yankees could benefit from having a veteran slide in at third base. And right now, I mean, you don't want to block Andahar, but at the same time, he's not going to stop you from signing a proven player. But if you also have in the back of your mind that, you know, well, if we do sign Mustakas, then we have zero shot at signing Machado it might change your thinking on that a little bit at least to where, all right, now we're just going to forget about Moustakis. He's a risk and he's a cost anyway. Um, you know, stick with the young guy and then you, you leave open, you know, you, then you give yourself more options. Um, mm-hmm. you know, signing a guy like Moustakis gives you way fewer options than if you went into the season with Andahar as your third baseman. And if he works out, great. You, you have even more flexibility going into the winter. And if he doesn't work out, then you go, you know, gung-ho for Machado. Uh, To the part about uh, Bryce Harper, it's really hard to see the fit just because you're not going to put him out in center field. That he just doesn't fit in center field. Uh, He might have the athleticism to play there. I don't think any team wants to put that kind of wear and tear on his body. He's been a little banged up in, in his young career. So, you know, he could make sense maybe if you have, uh, you know, Judge... Harper and Stanton rotating among the, the the two corner outfield spots in DH, but then, then again, you, you're totally limiting your flexibility both in who can play those positions and your play, and your payroll. So, I don't think unless they're like gung ho on this idea of having the Harper Judge Stanton triumvirate rotating in those three spots, unless they're sold on that right now, I don't see them pivoting to Harper if they don't want to sign Machado because of Andahar. Yeah, you know, my father always said to me, you know, don't cash, uh, don't count your asshole too many times because you'll only count one. And you know what? Uh, it, it's kind of true. Where How many times can you count the same things over and over again? There's only one spot for left field, only mm-hmm. one spot for center field, only one spot for right field. It, it, you can't consistently think that just because the best player is out there that you can just add them. You've only got three spots and a, a DH place to put these four guys. It doesn't really make sense. And to be honest with you, um, if you've got Florial and other guys in your system that look like they're going to fit in later, you can't. Just say, well, you know, I'm going to wait out till next year and see if I can get this guy on an eight-year contract. I, it just doesn't work for me. I don't believe in looking that far ahead into the future. I think that you should just deal with what are are knowns, and and, and stay away from the things that are just unknown. You you can't predict, you know, if 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 the Nats tank, you know, and they decide to trade Harper to the Red Sox and the Red Sox give him a an, a nine-year uh, contract extension. What does that do for your your plans? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you know it, it it's as good as a uh, you know a dollar fifty subway token does nothing <laughs> for you right now in twenty eighteen. And and to be honest with you, a dollar fifty subway token next year ain't going to do a whole lot much. So holding on to things and making hope that you're going to somehow or another get you know one of these two guys, um, it it doesn't always work out that way. The, the best laid plans don't always work out in your favor. So I think it's best to just kind of make the assumption that you need to deal with what you have today. 
go into the end of this particular season with the idea that if one of those guys are available, you know, you have to make an offer, at least for one of them. You have to. But I don't see that uh, if Miguel Anduar ends up being someone that's really useful, them saying, you know what, let's just get rid of Anduar. You know, I, I just I don't know. Oh, they I, could. I, I, they could, but I think that they would more than likely stick with somebody if they, they seem to fit after this year. And and the same could be said about, like, you know, center field and, and Brett Gardner. You know, after next year, you know, who knows if they're going to want to go to an Aaron Hicks full-time um, or after this year, or, or are they going to ready to move up one of the other guys? Um, who knows? So it's a very dis- difficult thing to kind of per- to project is what a potential free agent signing is going to be. I-, I think it's one of the least predictable things in baseball. Oh, we've seen that so many times, so many times, uh, you know, that, oh, hey, this guy's going to be a free agent in two years and he signs, a, he signs an extension. I remember this specifically with Matt Cain. Uh, I think it was mm-hmm. back in like 2010 or 2011 where, you know, the Yankees were coming off. It was, be, I think, it was even before they signed CC, or right around the time. Like, oh yeah, Matt Cain's going to be a free agent soon too. They, they can sign him, and you know, he signed a pretty early extension that took him mm-hmm. out of the contention way before, um, you know, you could even speculate about him. So it was, and it was the smartest thing he did in his career. Oh yeah, one of the smartest decisions that that player ever made, considering how bad his injuries ended up being as his career kind of came to an end. Was was signing that long term deal and making sure that he had the guaranteed dollars and and not for nothing. That's everybody. You know, we we talk a lot about the how rough this off season is, but that's the main reason why I think players are, are holding fast to their 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 kind of statement because you know you don't go in assuming you're not going to make what you think you're worth. You're not going to say, I'm going to take less money because it's the market. Um, So I I just really think that the market will start kind of showing itself next year. And it's just this one in 2018, it's, it's too screwed up to start deciding who's going to be a free agent in 2019. I just, I'm not worth my time. No. And again, it's, there's too much good baseball ahead. And I'm, you know, as much as everyone wants to dream on Machado, I'm really pumped to see what Andujar has to offer this year because it's damn well seems he's going to be the starting third baseman. Well, you know, there's another guy that I'm really excited about, and I'm going to talk about him next. And and the next question we have comes from Abby. And Abby asks, do you think that keeping Gleiber in AAA to keep him under team control for an extra year will have an ill effect on him as a person and sour his opinion on the franchise? Uh, I remember a story coming out a few years ago with Chris Bryant saying he was a little hurt knowing that he was kept in AAA for a reason. Well, you know what? I got to be honest. The Cubs weren't uh, at that time primed for contention. They were getting better. And Chris Bryant was in a position where he was intentionally being screwed over by the organization. The organization practically admitted it. So, I mean, I, I just don't really see a comparison to, to those situations. No, and he also, it never affected his performance, obviously, because he came out and won Rookie of the Year on a landslide and mm-hmm. came back and won the MVP in his second year. So it's not like it, it affected anything. And this kind of harkens back to the conversation we had with Keith Law. And he... I think he touched on this tangentially, uh, that guys understand this is the way things go. They're not gonna they're not gonna be sore about it. They they know it's business, um, and you know this is again why they're trying to get theirs right now, and why it's so upsetting in free agency that no one's offering them what they're worth, mm-hmm. uh, which is a completely different conversation. I know we're gonna get a lot of a lot of people disagreeing with that statement, but that's neither here nor there for this podcast. Uh, I I really hope the Yankees don't do that. 
I don't remember, and I could, I might be just completely misremembering the past, but I don't remember them ever doing that. Um, I, I, I have to agree. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, while they've had some guys where they'll say, we're going to wait a month or so before we bring them up to the, the majors, more out of just, we want them to start the year. Mostly pitchers, too. It, it, they really have, have taken that position more with pitchers than they have with position players in the last few years. And it, and even then, I, I haven't seen the manipulation of, of you know, Super 2 and, and, and that extra year um, at all. No, they didn't do it with Jordan Montgomery last year, and they had every opportunity to. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they did send him down in August, and I believe he – I'm not sure. I should just check baseball reference. I don't think he got a full year of service, though, because they sent him – no, they brought him back up really quick. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but they they could have they could have kept him down and started someone else for that. You know, they could start Luis Sessa in that fifth spot so easily, and they could have left Montgomery down for enough time to so his service clock would wouldn't hit the first full year in the first year. But they didn't. They had him. You know, he's the first fifth starter. Uh, even though he started the year in the minors, he was up before the you know before the deadline. So we have a recent example of the Yankees not doing that. Um, you know, and I, I just remember, you know, so many instances where, you know, that, that was the case that the guy makes a team out of camp, he's coming, uh, you know, with, with Aaron judge, presumably last year, they could have kept him down and further suppressed the service time. Uh, they they could, they could have manipulated that where he didn't even get to one full year after 2017. And, you know, he broke camp with the team and we all know what the, what the rest of that story is, but it just, you know, they, they just don't have a history of it. You know, it's funny. Um, I watched uh, the top 10 plays of, of – hold on one second. I'm going to sneeze. Okay, I sneezed. Um, so I, I, I went on to the Thursday night open thread, and I was looking at uh, the Aaron Judge. Was, I had to sneeze again. Sorry, folks. You know, it's that time of year. Uh, and I looked at the top 10 plays of his rookie year, the video that Mike put for this post. And, you know, it, it's just so incredible to watch what he did. In one year. And I think that if they would have left him down uh, to start the season, it probably would have really hurt the team. And, and and I'm really glad that they took the pay, the place where holding a player back because of service time is just not really a thing they do. And it, at least it didn't seem to me. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, I've never, again, never seen it. And because right now they don't have proven – you know, have a proven second baseman or third baseman, it really stands to reason that, you know, they are going to, uh, you know, they are going to let Glaber, Gleiber, uh, and, and Endahar have their shots, which is it, the best thing we could hear because that's just going to make the team, I just, the long-term outlook of this team is just so phenomenal right now. And to if have they were those two guys work. in those positions, it's just most exciting it's ever been when I've been a Yankee fan, except if, maybe 96. If they're going to go, if they were going to go into 2018 knowing that they were going to be a hundred loss club or something near it, then yeah, manipulating a guy's service time makes a lot of sense. Um, but if you're going in the team with the expectation that you know what you were a game away from the World Series, I, I, I think gaming some guy's service time is not within your best interest. Your best interests are to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, so speaking of winning, um, let's talk about our next. Uh, question and it comes from Gabe and Gabe wants to know after what we've seen teams like the Marlins Pirates and Padres do recently what are your thoughts on MLB setting a floor for wins say 70 and every team that wins fewer than 
that is punished. Perhaps for your uh, you have to win X number of games to be eligible for the first pick or revenue sharing funds. Um, I don't know if I would say that it should be really by wins. I really believe that the draft position should be by wins. But I don't necessarily think that you should win X amount of games in order to be able to make um, payroll uh, or I should say add to your payroll or whatever uh, revenue sharing. What I think that it should be is there should be a um, – I believe in a, a salary floor. I believe that if you have a salary floor that's lower than X, then you should be penalized by having maybe um, a lower round draft taken away from you. I believe that if you're under a certain threshold that you should be penalized because what you're doing essentially is uh, not paying players. And uh, you're taking away from the ability from your team to compete most of the time by doing that. I love I love the salary floor idea because it's the exact reasons you said. I do, however, and maybe you know, you make a good point, and I'll take it to in the consideration when I'm thinking about all this. That wins may not might not be the best way to do it, but I am so against the idea that you're rewarding teams that are terrible with the best picks of the draft. You know, the draft is completely rigged from the start. Like no matter what That's order true. you put it in, no no matter what order teams are picking in. MLB has already rigged the draft. Uh, so you're starting from that. No, especially from, when you're talking about slot dollars and all that stuff. Absolutely. Exactly, I mean, exactly. So you're starting with that baseline of the draft being rigged. And now you're saying that there's an incentive and it is, it is an incentive for teams to perform poorly if they're not going to perform well. So you've basically completely disincentivized the idea of finishing in the middle of the pack. So you have team. And that's again, another one of the many reasons why we're seeing what we're seeing right now is the incentive is to not win, so you've got that protected you know, top 10 draft pick. And I don't think teams should be reward, rewarded for doing poorly. I don't think the best teams should be picking first. I don't think that you know, we should create this culture of dominance because that would get really boring really fast and it would be difficult for bad teams to rebuild. And they shouldn't be punished in the long term, at least, for doing that poorly. But the worst team de facto getting the first pick, I think is, you know, just really out of whack with how you want to incentivize teams to act. And so then maybe maybe the answer is that the first round draft pick goes to the winner of the World Series. And maybe and, that's and, the and way that's 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 tough too because then you're rewarding the you know you're you're piling on with the best and I can see I can see not I, wanting to give the best team the spoils. Uh, so but, then, I, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. I, I, my my whole thing is that you don't necessarily want to punish the best team, but you don't want to incentivize the worst team. So where where's the middle? And yeah. that, that's the hardest question. Is it a lottery? I don't know. The lotto in the NBA seems ridiculous. It doesn't ever seem like it was that effective to me. And to be honest with you, if I'm right, it's a weighted lottery. Yeah. It is. So I, I, I just think that you're, you're, you're not giving a true random randomness. And, and, and I think that there should be some sort of rewards given to you, uh, especially if you're a team going through tough times and you need to improve, because that's the only way that you're going to get any real um, uh, like parity in, in a league is to have a team acquire a few good players. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, I mean, I, I'm really stuck on this one. This is a great question. Um, you know what? I'm going to ask our, our listeners, do us a favor. Would you be for or against the World Series winner 
getting the first round draft pick. Send us an email. Let us know what you think. Riveravblues at gmail.com. Uh, and, and give us what your thoughts are. And we'll do kind of an unscientific poll. And maybe after um, I uh, after this comes out, maybe I'll do a, a Twitter poll asking people. So if you're listening by now, I might have already put out the poll. Go ahead. Go to RAB on uh, on Twitter and take a look. It's Blues at Twitter. Anyway, Gabe, great question. Really, really like it. Um, and anyway, I, I want to kind of finish up with Ted's question. Ted from Jersey. Ted, Now, Ted, I'm, I'm going to try to be as kind to you as possible because I don't really think that it's worth it for me to be rude or mean to you because you're a reader. But, Ted, we get this question a lot. And I, I got to be honest with you, Ted. Uh, you, you should be the last person that asks. So uh, everyone else listening, please don't ask this question again. I mean, we've gotten it a lot, and I think we've avoided it. And is He's given us a really long kind of idea, but the question is basically, would you trade Ellsbury for Cano? Emotionally, <laughs> that, yes. Emotionally, I do it every time because I cannot stand Ellsbury and Cano is one of my favorite Yankees. Um, but, you look at, but you look at the logistics of it and you say, you know what, you know, your trade, pro, uh, you, you, your trade idea sucks, man, because you read and you think about the logistics of, of how much money they would have to move between the two teams. And some of it would just negate each other. So then you're talking about basically the Yankees buy or selling prospects for Cano. Well, um, you, would, you would have to get money back from the Mariners. Something. But I think that in the end it would almost be – I mean they're, they're both making way too much money. Uh, I mean Cano, it's, it's hard to say if it's too much money. With Ellsbury based on his current – you know. Uh, his his performance it's too much money mm-hmm. um, and I, I just there there would have to be a lot of uh, offset yeah. in the player the the offset in the player that you would send over would have to be so tremendous to make up for some of the money that you would have to swallow uh, or they would have to eat as part of the deal I it, it just it seems like one of those things that just seems like it's there's too many moving parts. And you could have said that about A-Rod, but the thing about it is on the other side of the deal, there was nobody making a, a shit ton of money. Um, like, if they would have traded Manny Ramirez for A-Rod it, when the Red Sox wanted to do that deal, yeah, that probably would have been tough, and that's why it fell apart. Because there's a lot of money going back and forth on both sides. When it came to the Yankees and, and the Red Sox, or I should say the Yankees and um, and the Rangers, the money was mostly just going one way. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, we understand. We need to cover part of this ridiculous salary we paid him. And remember, Tom, it, like, they, they did that deal because Tom Hicks was broke. Tom Hicks was underwater on that team. That's why he sold it so mm-hmm. soon thereafter. Um, I, I think he started trying to sell like the next year, and he finally sold it in, what, 07, 08, somewhere in that time frame? So mm-hmm. you know that deal was made for a very specific reason. The Mariners don't appear to be in that same situation. Nintendo would... seems to have tons of cash. Yeah, Nintendo's they... owned that team forever. They have tons of money. They have lots and lots of things to do to promote that team. They've been living off the one good pitcher they've had for, what, like nine, ten years now with Felix. So just having two or three good hitters to go along with the one or two good pitchers they have is really the only game in town for them. Yeah. What? It, it, it would be a... It would make less sense than the the Marlins yeah. trading 
trading uh, Stanton. Like you understood completely why they traded Stanton from a financial standpoint. It didn't work for the, Mar- the, the Marlins and they couldn't afford it. With the Mariners, there's nothing like financially stopping them from paying Robinson Cano. No, there's not. And, and you take that into consideration. And even if you thought Brian Cashman might make this move, and let's be very clear about this. This is not a Brian Cashman move. No, he let him walk. Yeah. So, there was a reason he let him walk. Yeah, so, even, so even if Cashman were inclined to do this, just think about it from the Seattle perspective. You're getting back a player who is like, what, 75% of Cano's production you're going to get out of Ellsbury? And that's like 75% a big difference. And you're paying for it. And you're yeah. paying for it. You're literally paying yeah. to not have the bad player so you can have the good player. And, and, and for them, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'm asking for Taurus back in that deal. If mm-hmm. I'm the Mariners. Like, yeah, you want to swap Ellsbury for Cano. That's great. And we, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll offset. And you know, the Mariners will save a few bucks because uh, Cano has three more years on his deal. And I guess averages two and a half, three million more a year on his contract. Mm-hmm. So... You know, the Mariners will save a couple bucks, but they'll become a demonstrably worse team. Uh, and the idea for them is to win. They're clearly in it to win it. I mean, they didn't hire Jerry Depoto, the guy who's made, what, 50 trades in two years? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I'm exaggerating by that much. They, you don't hire a guy like that if you're trying to if you're trying to do a full rebuild or, you know, you're trying to cut salary. You're bringing him on to win, to, to put together a winning team, and they're clearly trying to do that. In all fairness to to Ted, I see the Mariners more likely to sign J.D. Martinez than they are to trade away Robinson Mm -hmm. Cano. So think about it. So see it from that perspective, Ted. Sorry to kind of gang up on you. But to be honest with you, I I really think the Yankee fans and and our own Ben is a little guilty of this, just still hanging on to Cano, uh, which I can understand. He was an awesome player. But you're not getting him back. It's not going to happen. If it is, it's going to be like a Soriano situation. You get him in the last year and you say goodbye. I, I just don't see how it happens. No, again, exactly. It's going to be like a he's at the end of the deal. The Mariners are terrible or the Mariners want to shed his contract for whatever reason. But even mm-hmm. then, the Yankees, they're past that stage. And this, they could be a very good team at that point. Don't need Robinson Cano at 40 years old. Yep. I, I, I hope they don't. I really hope they don't. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, I think that's about it for us this week because we've railed on on Ted's question for a bit. Uh, So I want to go ahead and, like I said, just thank everybody for listening. We've had a really great experience doing this podcast recently, and we think we're going to do a ton more. Uh, There's a lot more awesome stuff coming from REB in the next year. Uh, Next week starts spring training. Uh, we'll be sure to uh, give you some daily or I should say some weekly reports on the stuff that we hear. Uh, Mike is going to have tons and tons of great stuff. I think he may be going down there once games start. Um, at least he told us at dinner recently. So we'll see. He'll um, be on that, with us for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So everybody, uh, once again, thanks again for listening to the River Avenue Blues podcast. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, there's a couple of ways. Uh, the first way is go to riveravblues.com, obviously. Uh, the second way is go to our Facebook account. You can go to facebook.com slash riveravblues or twitter.com slash riveravblues. Um, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can do that. Let me get the number. I never have it on hand. I got, I, I, I got it. I got, oh, you got it this time too. Good. I just got it. The phone number, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, is 716 393 
5330. And uh, really uh, hope you leave us some decent messages uh, because we really love ask get your questions. And of course, also want to say feel free to email us, riveravblues at gmail.com. Uh, and as we leave, I just want to say, see you soon, Kevin. It was good talking to you. Uh, and everyone else, we'll see you soon, too. So this is Jay. And Joe. We'll talk to you all soon. Have a great one. Uh, and enjoy uh, baseball starting next week. Baseball.